with you, without you, we are absolutely nothing. We need you, oh God, every single day. Thank you for this word. We do not ask you to bless it because it's already blessed. Your word is the one that blesses us. I just pray, Lord, that you fill us up with the humility to receive this word. And that this word may fall on good soil and produce life-changing fruits. So we could be a light. So we could be a beacon of hope to point back to the cross, to point back to the Savior. Where any person could come to and have a new life. We pray all these things in your name. And a church ready to receive says, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. Thank you so much for those that may not know who I am. My name is Pastor Jose Gomez. I'm here with my lovely wife, Pastora Fanny Gomez. We have been called to serve in the church Casa de Restauración, House of Restoration. We have been called to serve our immigrant friends and family. I want you to understand that there are great men and women of God that the Lord is bringing from other countries to this country, that they are going through very difficult hardships back home. Um, for example, quit snippet, we're working with a lot of Venezuelans that are coming or Colombian. Imagine in Venezuela, $7 of ours is a month worth of salary. So what you spend in McDonald's, that would take them more than a month. Because McDonald's is not even that cheap anymore. The, the dollar menu is no longer. You know, you go over there with your dollar, exact dollar. And there's a dollar something. So I want you to keep us in prayer, please. We are working with them. The Lord has been so good. We provide a weekly food pantry right now, my love. We are at 50 food units, yes. Every Sunday after service, we are serving about 50 food units. That includes dry good bags, fruits and veggies, um, milk, eggs, just a provision, a manna from God that we're able to bless our friends. We have um, mental health uh, therapists coming every Friday, faith-based, giving a lot of mental health um, help and as well as um, legal resources, uh, employment resources, um, different ways that we could help. But above all, the greatest resource that we give them is the Word of God. We tell people that, listen, we could give you as much as we want, but if we're not giving you Jesus, we're not giving you absolutely anything. The Lord has not just called me to feed your physical stomach. The Lord has called me to feed your spirit and your soul. And so please keep us in prayer. Also, as you may have tried, we have a, lot, uh, a new coffee coming out from our church. Um, so if you haven't had an opportunity to try it, I hear it's very good. I'm not trying to be biased, but I hear it's very good. And so please, please have that opportunity to, to taste that and share it with your friends. And it's all for a worthy cause. Amen. Amen. Let us go into scripture. The topic of today is called the good, the bad, the ugly, and the repented. One more time. The good, the bad, the ugly, the repented. And today we're going to be basing it, if you want to follow along with me, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. I will leave it as homework for you, for you to really dig deep into this story if you haven't read it at home. 
I would just be going over some main points. But I really want to share with you what the Lord has put in my heart today. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. The first thing we're going to look at is the good. This story involves a man that we all know, David. This is David that the Lord called to be king after a rebellious king prior to him disobeyed God. This is the young man that he was out taking care of sheep. And when the man of God came to his father's home to choose the new king, the man of God told the father, bring me all your kids. And he forgot one. He forgot David out in the field. And the word of God says that the man of God came and he saw every son and he was like, surely this is the guy. Maybe this is the guy. He's tall enough. He's handsome enough. He looks strong. And the Lord said, no, 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 it's not him. And the man of God told this father, do you have any more children? He says, yes, I have the little one, the young one. Where is he? He's out in the fields. And the beautiful thing about that story, that even though his own father made him less important, but I'm here to tell you today that what man rejects, the Lord lifts up. What people tend to discard, what people tend to say, no, surely God cannot use that person. Surely God can't make him a worshiper. Surely God can't use her to deliver others. Let me tell you something that when we come to Christ, he could do anything and everything that he wants to do through the ones that people less expect them to do. I have come to understand that outside of God's hands, I'm just an ordinary human being. But in the hands of God, and when his spirit is within me, he, the Bible says that I am more than a conqueror through him who strengthens me. I have been set free. I have been delivered. And he has called me to help others. Point them to the cross. David was this man, this young boy who was known for being a worshiper. He was out in the fields. He would worship the Lord. This is the same man that when he was younger, the Lord used to slay a giant. This is the same David that when King Saul had an evil spirit that would torment him, they would call upon David to worship the Lord. And they would bring some comfort. To this man. This is the David that we're speaking on today. But unfortunately we have come to a point in the life of David. Where even though he was known for good things. As every human being. He had some weaknesses. And something about weaknesses is that. We tend to focus very well on the weaknesses of others. Oh, but when it comes to our weaknesses, we have learned how to hide them very well. And the danger about hiding our weaknesses is that we try to expose the weaknesses of others more in order for us not to look too bad. So we could bring some relief to our guilt to say, well, at least I'm not like this person. I have come to remind you that in the eyes of God Almighty, your sin is not less than their sin. 
You have to understand, maybe because their sin is a little bit more obvious and you learn how to hide yours better, it doesn't make you any more Christian. It doesn't make you any better. And today we have come to see that in chapter 11, we will see how David transformed from good to bad. And I want you to understand that this is not the first time or the first moment where David started to unravel in his way of sin. He was starting little by little to let sin creep in. In verse 1, in chapter 11, quickly it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. They ravished the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. This is where it gets bad. David is the king. His men were going to war. His duty as a king was not to stay back, was to go to battle with his men. So when he started to operate, listen carefully, outside of his role, outside of his God-given role, because we understand that David didn't become king because he deserved it or he had the merits for it, he had the qualification, is because he was chosen. David transformed his life from being this man sensible to the voice and to the presence of God to now to try to do things his way. My dear friends, this is the point of the bad that I want you to realize. When you and I try to operate outside of God's will, Outside of God's purpose. And not that, and here's the thing. Sometimes in the churches we say, Lord, show what's your will for me? No, you just have to say, Lord, what is your will? And give me the obedience to follow. Because I want you to understand that when you and I try to operate outside of God's will, outside of the calling that the Lord has put over us, you have to understand that you are walking on dangerous territory. When you start ta taking care more of, of the superficial, of, of, of what you call good or, or what brings your attention, and you start not taking care of your spiritual role, I want to remind you that even though you may have a crown, but if you operate outside of God's will, that crown will ultimately destroy you. You may feel that you have success out there. But if you do not have an intimate relationship with the Lord, what you call success one day will be your great ruin. Because you have to understand, dear friends, that success is not based on us. It is based on on him. You may have the skill, you may have the talent, you may have the charisma, but if you do not have him, what do you have? I have come to learn that if I have everything, but I don't have his presence with me, I have absolutely nothing. 
I may have people that know my name. I may have people that could say, Pastor, you know how to preach. But let me tell you something, that sometimes it is possible for people to try to operate in the realm of the kingdom without the presence of God. They flow under talent. They flow under intelligence. But there's a lack of anointing in their life. So we see here that things go from good to bad when you and I try to operate outside of God's will. When we're not doing what he has called us to do. And one of the biggest problems when it comes to that is that sometimes we think that something is God's calling for us because we like it. Because we enjoy it. Because it's within our comfort zone. Let me tell you something. When God calls you, most of the time, if not every time, it's going to be an uncomfortable situation. So you and I need to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Because that is where you know that God is taking you from one level to another. Here we see David not operating under God's will. He remained in Jerusalem. And then the word of God tells us in verse 2 that he arose and he just started pacing back and forth, walking on the roof of the king's house when he saw a woman bathing. The woman, the Bible says, was very beautiful. But here's the problem about sin. One thing is when you see it. The other thing is when you stay looking at it. Because sometimes when you see sin or something, it's not because you were looking for it. It just pops up. But now that you are aware that that sin is there and you choose to stay focused on it, that's where you need to be careful. And if you see in verse 5, uh, verse 3, and David sent and inquired about the woman. David had another option. He could have been like, well, that was good, but got to go. David could have been like, well, I do got some pretty women in my kingdom. And just leave it as that. But no. He said, let me go find out. Let's go see what is going on. And then the word of God says that when he went, he sent somebody to inquire about the woman. His servant came back and said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now look at verse 4. So David sent messengers and took her. Here's, here's this. David, when he even got reports that this woman belonged to somebody else, he could have said, all right. We'll leave it as that. But David went and took her. I remind you that this is the wife of a man in his army who in that moment was out at war that he was supposed to be in. All the dangers of just playing with sin just a little bit. You may say, Pastor, this sin, I have it under control. Please do not be fooled. Because that is one of the weapons that the enemy used to make you think that you're still in control of your sin. When in reality, your sin 
is in control of you. And sin comes in different forms. And we see here that they tell him, listen, she's somebody's wife. But David said, I'm the king. I do what I want. He said, come on. Then what happens? He brings her to the house, wines and dines her, then sends her on her way. And then all of a sudden, she's like, David, I have some news for you. David was like, what happened? You're going to be a daddy. And what did David do? Did he stop and say, Lord, I have sinned against you? I remind you that David was already married. Lord, I have committed adultery. Lord, forgive me. No, no, no. Things went very bad. We get from bad to ugly. The word of God tells us in chapter 11 that he called, he summoned Uriah from the battlefield to come to the palace. And he, when Uriah came, he said, your majesty, what's going on? What's happening? David, if you read this story, was like, so, um, how's the war going? How, how, how are my men doing? No, they're, they're all right, you know, just kind of bloody, kind of, kind of dangerous. All right, go home, relax a little bit, and then go back out to the field. Guess what? This man refused to go home. The word of God says that Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. And then David was like, Uriah, weren't you going home? And Uriah said, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and his servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Let me tell you, Uriah was more loyal to his king than the king to the giver of his kingship. David, we remind you, had a perfect example of not to play with God. Play with anybody else. But don't play with God. David saw firsthand what happens when you choose to rebel against God. When you choose, and yet he still was doing the same thing. How many times have we said, I swear I will never be like my mother. I swear that I will never be like my father. And little by little you become, if not the same, worse. Because what makes the difference in our lives is not just saying it. It's holding on to God and saying, God, mold me, break me, change me, transform me, do with me as you will. And we see that Uriah refused to go home. Uriah was more loyal than now our boy David. Uriah showed what it is to be a man committed to his duty, to his calling, to his God-given design purpose. Then David said, this guy, is, he's being hard-headed. I know what I'll do. And even there, David could have been like, man, Lord, thank you for using this instrument to teach me about being loyal. 
Many of us, when we are walking in sin, the Lord's grace is so big and so loving that he'll send people to remind you, hey, go back to God. Don't go down this path. But what do we say? We grow cold. This is one of the problems when we're playing with sin. You start becoming, if the word, and forgive me because my Spanglish messes me up sometimes. The word for not sensitive. What's the word for not sensitive? I knew that. I was just testing y'all. Insensitive to God's word. Here's the thing. When you start playing with sin, even church feels different. You'll come, and then guess what, dear leaders? The people have the audacity to say, I went to church today and didn't feel nothing. I remind you that the problem is not church. I remind you that the problem is not this place. I remind you that the problem may be you. Because when you have let sin in, when you have let the enemy in to operate in your mind, in your heart, and in your life, you tend to become insensitive to the call of God, to the word of God. And here we see that David didn't even understand what was going on. Then all of a sudden, David decided to send this man back with the letter where it was his own death, assigned by his own hand as a king, given the scroll to Uriah and said, take this back to your captain. And the instructions one, when the war breaks out, put him in the, in the first row of when all else breaks loose. Ultimately, sentencing him to death. Ultimately, so not only did David go and take some, not only did he not operate according to God's will, not only did he take something that wasn't his, now he was trying to cover it up. Dear friends, we need to be careful when we let sin go in. I want you to understand that now David, in chapter 11, you see how the story ends. The captain of that troop says, all right, they put him in the front, Uriah died. And David, when he got word that Uriah died, in his mind and heart, he was like, whew, I got it. And then guess what? What I'm going to do, I'm going to take this poor widow, pregnant widow, and I'll make her my wife. Here's the problem when you play with sin so much that when you try to cover it up, you still try to make yourself look good. So that's why be careful when you're working with people that they like to talk a lot about themselves. That they're always trying to have you focus on all these things that they do. Why? Because most of the time they're trying to distract your attention to the real issue. But what I love about the presence of God, what I love about the Bible, that it is a sword double edge that you can hide from people. You could hide from your spouse. You could hide from everyone, but you cannot hide from God himself. Because you have fooled others, it does not mean you have fooled God. Only because you haven't seen an immediate consequence, it doesn't mean you got away with it. Because sometimes we think that God is just sitting there waiting you for mess up and boom, no. He'll sit back and he'll watch you. He'll send people to get your attention. He'll use a scripture reading. He'll use your moment of prayer, of devotion, a worship song. He, he could even use somebody from the street to preach to you. 
to try to call your attention. Oh, but dear friends, the problem of being so insensitive to the word of God that if he has tried to talk to you day after day, week after week, month after month, and yet you choose to not turn back, put on your seatbelt because it's going to get bumpy. Things you're going to start noticing. Now things are not going as you have thought and things aren't working out. There's no more success like you used to. That is called consequences, dear friend. It is not the devil trying to rob your blessing because it wasn't him that tried to rob your blessing in the first place. You gave your blessing over to him. Some people are better to blame the devil for what they have done instead of saying, I recognize that my sin, my mistake has caused me this harm in my life. In chapter 12, you will see when the man of God came to David and approached him and said, hey, we have a problem. He gave him a story. He gave him a parable. And the Bible says that David got so mad because of that parable, he said, bring me the man that did that, uh, uh, this horrible act and let's kill him. That man that stole from the other man, let's kill him. And the man of God said, man, I wish I was there. Oh, I wish I was there. If I was just in the corner just waiting and me knowing everything that David did and forcing me to be part of this plot. And the man of God, and he's telling this story. This is how crazy, this is what you have to understand. That even though God was talking to David in a parable, David still didn't respond correctly. This is what you have to understand about the problem, the damaging problem of sin. It will turn you now into a Pharisee. It will turn you now into a hypocrite. You will even have the attitude to look at somebody else's sin and say, how dare you do that against God? How is it possible that you, when you are in the worse position than them? Just because you know some worship songs doesn't mean you got away with it. Just because you know some scripture reading doesn't mean you know you got away with it. He said, bring him. We're going to kill him. Oh, but the man of God, he said, no problem. You are him. Now David realized. Now David saw the consequences of his sin. He saw how no one could hide from God. He saw that the same God that saw him in the fields and chose him to be king now saw him in his palace operating outside of his will. My dear friends, I have learned. Don't just rejoice when the Lord gives you a gift or a talent or a metaphorical crown on your head. Because that's not the greatest measure of success. My job is not to gloat and, and hold on and worship more the crown that the Lord has put over my head than the giver of that crown. And many of us, when the Lord decides to put a crown over our heads of a calling, of a purpose, of a talent, we start idolizing that more. We start worshiping that more than the giver of the crown. 
Now, we saw how David was the good. We saw how David operated as the bad, not doing what God has called him to do, operating outside of the time and the will of God. We saw the ugly. We saw how he took a woman that wasn't his, killed the husband, tried to hide it. But now the Lord calls him out. I ask you to turn and we're going to be done here. Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51, it is said, was written after David got caught. With Bathsheba. It comes from a place of him now having a come to Jesus moment and recognize that he had sinned. I will quickly read this psalm. And if you haven't heard this psalm or read this psalm, I really encourage you to make this a psalm that you will constantly read over and over. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before you, against you and you alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you may be justified in your works and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and inward being, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with the hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than, whiter than snow. Let, m let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And chapter, verse 10, to me, that's one of the greatest lines ever found in the word of God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. Dear friends, I want you to understand that in this journey with the Lord, we will make mistakes. We will fall. But I want you to understand that God's grace is bigger than any time that you may fall. You may sometimes be wrestling with sin. Sometimes you may be wrestling with guilt. Sometimes you feel that you're not worthy to even touch this book. You're not worthy to come to a church. You're not worthy to even worship. That you're not even worthy to evangelize to somebody. Let me tell you something. Nobody's worthy. I'm not a pastor because I'm worthy. I'm a pastor because even though he sought me in my worst condition. He called me from that darkness into his light. He took me out of that pit of, of sin. He took me out of that pit of depression. He took me out of that pit of suicidal thoughts, two attempts against my own life, and now puts me in a position to remind others that if the Lord did it with me, he could do it with you too. And I want you to understand that that is the story of the gospel. That's why to me the greatest preachers, the greatest men and women of God are those that the Lord have brought out from places that you're like, and he is being used? And she is being used? And I could humbly say, yes, I am. Because why? Understand that being up here, being used by God is not just because you have the knowledge, you have the charisma, you have the connections. No, no, no. It's because you have a heart that is humble to recognize that it is all him.
And today I want to close with the following. In chapter 51 of Psalms, we see what is now we get to the point of the repentant. We want, I want to share with you what are the true characteristics of biblical repentance. Repentance is not just feeling bad. It's not just feeling guilty. No, no, no. There's a lot more than that. Quickly, quickly, what are some of the characteristics of a repented life? Number one, recognition of sin. If you see in Psalms 51, David recognized his sin. Number two, there is sorrow. Genuine repentance is accompanied by deep sense of sorrow and remorse for having offended God. Number three, there's confession. You confess what you have done. Don't try to hide it. Understand, dear church, that the greatest weapon you and I have against sin is not just stopping, is repenting. Because if you just want to stop at stopping, that's going to be very difficult. You're going to catch yourself, keep doing it over and over again. When you have recognized your sin, when you feel sorrow for it, remorse for what you have done, you confess it to the Lord. But then number four, you forsake that sin. True repentance is that you could honestly say there's a before and after. Repentance is not you say I'm sorry and you walk out of here to do what you said you're going to stop doing. That's not repentance. Some of you need to be willing that before you even get in your car, you're going to have to grab your phone and start cutting out relationships that you know. That you know that weren't even given to you by God. You're out here searching for something that God already had for you later on. So when you have recognized your sin, when you feel sorrow, when you confess, you then forsake sin. True repentance requires a decision of turning away from sin and a commitment to pursue holiness. Yesterday, my son, my oldest son got married. And to see him getting married, you've all been to weddings. It's a beautiful thing. People commit to each other. Imagine how many human beings are there in this world. And people commit to each other. You have to understand, when you truly repent, you say, Lord, I recognize there's a bunch of distractions out here. But I will no longer co commit to any of these things. I will only commit to you. Some of us, we struggle with our sin, and we don't see that we better, not because the Lord doesn't want us to get better. It's because we're trying to be committed to God and to something else. You need to understand that in order to commit truly to God, there can't be an end. It's only you. You trust in God's mercy when you are truly repented. Repentance is grounded in the trust of God's characters and promises and involves placing faith in God's willingness to forgive and cleanse us from sin. The following as well. When you have truly repented, there is transformation. Genuine repentance leads to a changed life. It involves ongoing spiritual growth and a renewed commitment to obedience and desire to live in alignment with God's will and purpose. And we finish with this. When you are walking in repentance, you understand that it's a continual process. Repentance is not a one-time event but an ongoing process in the life of a believer. It involves a daily, daily 
Not just on Sundays. Not just on Easter. Daily. Daily self-examination, humility and dependence on God. And that way, dear church, when you come to repent, you could still be known as David was known as a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. No, he was far from it. But the reason why he was called a man after God's own heart because he was wholly devoted to the Lord. He had spiritual intimacy with the Lord. He was obedient. He did trust God. He had good leadership. But above all else, when he sinned, he repented. So today, I do not know what you are struggling with. I don't know what you are wrestling with. But I want you to understand that David's deep love for God, his obedience, his humility, his repentance, his trust, his leadership qualities exemplified his status as a man of God after his own heart. He serves as an inspiration to believers to pursue a similar depth of relationship and devotion with the Lord. In this narrative, we witness the complexity of human condition, the capacity for both righteousness and sin. However, the story doesn't end with David's failure. It ends with his repentance and God's forgiveness. As we reflect on this sermon, on this message, the good, the bad, the ugly, the repentant, may we learn from David's examples. Striving for righteousness, acknowledging our failings, and seeking reconciliation with God through genuine repentance. Before I give my time, right there where you at, please close your eyes, bow your head. And I want you to start talking to God, not, not in a way where you're out here trying to show him how good you are. Do less talking today and just say, Lord, examine my life. See if you see something in me that is not pleasing to you. The way I think, the way I feel, the way I live outside of my church family, the way I live on social media, the way I live at my job, the way I live where no other Christians are around. Help me to be somebody of integrity no matter where I go. Lord, help me not to hide through behind how many years I have going to a church. Help me not to hide just behind the titles, the positions that I'm put in, but help me surrender to you. I recognize my sin to you because you already know it anyway. I just need to be free. Today, God has given us the opportunity to be set free from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of guilt, from the bondage of remorse, that bondage that the enemy is using to try to distract you from what God wants to do with you. Today it is time to stop playing church, but to come running to his feet and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. And the secret of my thoughts and the secret of my feelings and the secret of my own life. I recognize, Lord, that I have sinned against you. Destroy my pride. Destroy my ego. And help me to have a clean heart. Do with me as you will. So I could go from glory to glory. From victory to victory. Because I know that without you, I could never be the best version of me. 
I pray all these things in your name. Amen.